Sarah, the big question I want to know is, do you have any poison oak yet? Four days, five days after our swim run adventure. Kelly, I do not have poison oak yet. And I think it's largely due to the fact that on the way home from the race, you forced us to stop and buy some poison oak antidote, which I have. Tech new, tech new. Tech new. I didn't know what it was before, but I have to say it was very fun to be part of a race. And I've never been in a race before where on the way home, I felt like we needed to stop in case we got poison oak. So. Oh, we definitely need to stop because I have some around my ankle. <gasps> you and, do? Yeah. And I mean, shockingly, since at one point when we were clambering up a bank out of a muddy creek, I looked down and I literally, we were like knee deep in poison oak. So I am not surprised. Is that when we went that that off happened. course? That was when we went off course. So Sarah and I did swim run this past Sunday. Everybody who's been following our journey, uh, we did the swim run USA in Casco Bay in Maine across like the islands there. And it was an adventure. It was. We had, okay, we, we went over 20 miles. I mean, they advertise it as 20 miles, but I think we went about 21 I know miles. people were like, how long was it? And I was like, I can't tell you for sure because the maps were, were suggestions. They weren't, you know, strictly rules about where to go. And I think we had about, what, 10 swims and 11 runs in the course yeah, it of was, the 20 it miles. Was a little, my watch said it was a little over 8K of swimming. Um, with like a lot of current on seaweed and kelp and create and tides and then 15 miles of like running. I'm putting running in quotations because there was that half mile of rock scrambling that took us 18 minutes, according to my watch. So There was that. There's also, you know, there were some technical trail bits and then there was also some normal running on sort of dirt roads and even some paved roads too. So the combination was good. Yeah, it was really fun though. I thought it was really fun. And we didn't get mad at each other at all. I mean, there was one point I thought the funniest part was where I was having to coax you to jump off a rock and you, you were like, no, no, I can't Kelly. It's too far. I'm like, do it, Sarah. It's okay. I did. I did have that moment where, cause I mean, in my head, you know what it was is I thought, cause we'd had so many slippery rocks that we've been on. And I was just like, in my head, I'm like, if I jump down there and I slip, I might get hurt. (laughs) It was literally a foot. It was, it was not a big deal. In retrospect, it's kind of funny. Um, but what was like, okay, what was your favorite part? Uh, jumping off the pier was pretty fun though. I was, I think I literally was screaming as I jumped. Oh, you screamed um, off the yeah. pier. It I was, was like, ah! yeah, there was some squealing <laughs> happening. Yeah. I thought that was really fun. I thought the single tracky trail at the end when we were running through these like islands that I not, not that many people live on the islands, but they, they are, people do live there and the locals did come out and they were like cheering for us and giving us directions. I did think it was really funny when we would be like, we don't, what, what beach are we aiming to hit? And there'd be like locals out there telling us about the tides. And I mean, they weren't race officials. No, they, were they just, weren't. <laughs> there were nobody, there was like hardly anybody in official bib. <laughs> there were just locals like standing on a beach going, okay, aim for that beach over there. Or my favorite one was, you know, the long swim that was supposed to be 1700 yards, but I'm not sure anyone could have made that as a direct line, but where they were like, go around that Island. And then once you get around, don't go to the beach on the left, go to the next beach over. You're like, okay. Yeah. We definitely went to the beach on the left, by the way. And then we got caught in the kelp and our tether had like kelp wrapped around it. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Like, not um, just a little kelp, but like our tether had a lot like kelp. a small child's weight of kelp just like attached to it. And then the other part that I really liked was, okay, like in the morning, how the tide was out. So that created, 
extra challenges that I hadn't even thought about. So, um, well, one was that the first swim just turned into a sandbar and we ran across Mm -hmm. it and then, which isn't really an extra challenge, but the, the other one was how there were so many rocks, suddenly wet rocks that were exposed that were covered in kelp. And so it was basically like your feet are slipping around and you're just hoping that they kind of catch somewhere before you break an ankle, basically trying to get in and out of the swims. So that was kind of, you know, I felt too, like I was developing a skill, like my slippery kelp rock walking improved quite Probably a bit. going to be a useful skill for when you come back and do this next year. For sure. When we win next year, right? When we win next year. Cause, uh, cause we did end up second. We did. We were, we were 40 minutes, 40 minutes behind first. I think we were slightly behind the first place team, a little bit, but little second bit. place is second place. And I'm owning it all the way. Um, and <laughs> my other favorite part was at the very end when we, when I was telling you, I was telling you we're on that last Island. We just have to run to the finish. And you're like, are you sure? Are you sure? And we literally stopped and asked the locals, what Island are we on? And then that woman was out for a jog and she ran with us all the way to the finish, like just out for a jog and told us where to go. And she commented on how much fun we were having. We were having, she said we were having the most fun of anyone she'd seen. Yeah, I do. I think it was fun. It was funny. I mean, the whole experience, it actually, I was thinking about it and it's kind of exactly what I needed at this point because like of my shifting reasons for why I do endurance sport and coming off of like 15 years of trying to win and then realizing like I needed another reason to go out and, and, I, and I, I actually didn't even need another reason. Like I'm quite happy to move on and do something else. Like, you know, I've talked about on the podcast that I've been you're, doing, you're going to do CrossFit, I've been doing yeah. CrossFit, which isn't like traditionally like an endurance sport. Right. So I didn't even know if I was going to come back to like kind of long distance racing. It took us five and a half hours and I hadn't trained for more than two hours. I wasn't really sure. Two hours you were very, go. very doubtful. You were very skeptical. And I kept telling you it's in there. Sarah, you did this for 15 years and you were it, right. It's in there. And I was right. right. I was very right. I was right down to within two minutes of how long it would take us. I know. You had, a, I just, yeah, yeah, you were good. Yeah. So I think like for me, it was just like about figuring out that why, which really had to do with the fun that we were having with the fact that it's different. Like it's an, it's an adventure race. You don't really know where you're going. You're not just like staring at pavement all day, which is the, really the thing that for me, where I'm at right now, I can't really do. You can't stare at pavement. Well, there is definitely no pavement. I don't even think there was any pavement. It's a very small amount of pavement. Okay. So after the intro, Kelly and I are going to come back. We're going to talk about swim run in a larger context, why it's so appealing, especially to women. And we're going to give our tips for first timers or anyone who thinks that they want to do it. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast, get 20% off with the code riding at Inc. Inc. With a K. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This 
Okay, so the the overall vibe at the race this weekend at the swim run race in Casco Bay Islands of Maine was really, really welcoming. There was we there were forty five percent women who were there. It was super laid back. It had this it had the vibe of something that was new, which it is. But Kelly, what do you think? Why do you think it feels more inclusive sort of than other endurance races? Well, there's plenty of races that feel inclusive. But what I think is unique is that In the endurance sports world, there's been like two competing trends. I feel like, you know, there's been this trying to make things more inclusive, which is often translated to trying to make them easier, more beginner friendly. And it comes across a lot of times as like a dumbing down, right? Like we're going to dumb down triathlon. We're going to like make running really easy, which is um, guys don't at me. I'm interpreting how this is interpreted. Okay. And so then there's like the other trend is this like counter reaction you're getting to that which is all like the grassroots the unsanctioned races the like let's get back to our roots and do crazy shit but a lot of that then is very wrapped up in this like we don't want to be inclusive we want to be hard and difficult and and it's very broy right like let's be real it's like super we don't want women no girls allowed often in a lot of ways and so what i thought was interesting about this race was that it managed to do both and it's i have not seen a lot of that in the last few years i've seen those two trends like fighting with each other but this managed to both both be like everyone's welcome and also be really fucking hard, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, we're going to make this easier. They definitely did not make the swimming easier. Like it was very swim heavy. Yeah. A which, case of ocean swimming in the tides and the cold with paddles on was not dumbing anything down. No. And so part of it may be that it's still new to everyone. So you cannot be like excluded for not knowing the gear because no one knows the gear. So like it's everyone's figuring it out. Part of it's probably that the swimming does favor women. Um, You do see a lot of these swim run races where the co-ed teams, like a man and woman win it outright. Like the, at this past weekend, the top co-ed team was like five minutes behind the winners or something an hour ahead of us, I think. Um, And the, like the co-ed teams, so that probably favors women slightly. It's the kind of running where like there's, there's more quality between body types and genders because it's not it's you know it's scrambling i do also think we did see a lot of co-ed teams i think that was like the biggest division so you do see a lot of couples and like it like like as opposed to it being separate it like brings people together yeah right i agree and i think in general you know there's a lot of there's a lot of women in swimming like as adults like adult women in swimming so you see like master's groups always have you know there's there's a lot of men too but you know the tends to be more 50 50 with women in swimming also open water swimming women do really well especially over the long distances and then like when i think of triathlon versus what i saw last weekend at swim run a lot of that bro culture does come from cycling and like you mentioned does come from kind of the gear and the techie side for whatever reason I mean, there is a lot of gear in swim running there is a lot of gear it's not like the way not this in the same way that about having a bike and cycling culture we all know is needs is in need of some overhaul if it, if it wants to be more inclusive yeah. so i think that's part of it i also think too like the fact that you know that like at the at the um what do you call it the intro meeting one of the race organizers had passed away suddenly uh just a few months before the race and and lars i don't know how you pronounce his last name vinegar 
Benninger. Yeah, who Benninger. was had to take over everything on his own then. Yeah, so they had this nice little, like, memorial for Jeff Cole who had passed away. Like, it just, the whole vibe is set by the people who are in mm-hmm. leadership. And so I think for whatever reason, those two guys had set, had set up a very inclusive oh, yeah. kind of vibe. So. And everybody, I feel like the whole weekend, there was a lot of... You were just talking to people all the time, right? A lot of like sharing tips. I mean, somebody was sharing like their aqua four with me on course because I got crazy chafing. Yeah. Really bad chafing. Yeah. And like, I just felt like it was everybody was like friendly and it was, I don't know, it was fun. It was. And the fact that you're also racing in Paris too. I mean, there is a solo division, (laughs) but I don't think many people were in it. I think the racing in Paris too is appealing and kind of takes the edge off, you know, that super competitive like head to head race or it makes it worse right or or we could have fought with each other and it would have been ugly if we were closer to first it might have gotten ugly when you have you would have been like really mad at me for not going faster <laughs> i could see that uh, yeah i mean the other thing that everybody he's talking about is whether or not like obviously swim run is booming and grown massively since you know it it didn't even make it out of sweden until like 2014 right uh and now it's booming is it the future And so I was thinking about that while we were racing this weekend. And I mean, I'm like, yes and no. I think, yes, it is going to continue to grow. But like, no, it cannot expand exponentially. Like, it cannot expand indefinitely, if that makes sense. Like, that race on those islands can't have 2,000 people. Like, that would be counterproductive to the beauty and the, like, point of those islands. To the ethos of the whole event. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that it's like, yes and no, it's a future. So I think... No, for the same reasons you said, like, you don't want these races. We don't want these races, nor can they get too huge. But I think that that kind of adventure style endurance racing is a big part of the future. And so swim run is maybe like a piece of it, but it's not like the be all and end all of endurance. It's an important piece. I mean, there's also the fact that like, maybe it can't be 2000 people, but we need those races. Like we've gone too far in the direction of everything being everything trying to be bigger and huger and fancier and like we need the things that are in between and crazy and like don't fit that model too we definitely do and your mom (laughs) sent us a voicemail and she had a few comments about our race too great to see pictures of you guys laughing at the casco bay swim run i mean i don't know how much laughing there was out on the course but certainly the pre-race pictures and the post-race pictures of you guys and pretty much everybody on their facebook page everybody's just having so much fun I also think part of what you said about the lack of a bro vibe at these swim run events has to do with the fact that it's Swedish in origin. I mean, I don't remember where I read this, but somewhere I read that in Sweden, advertisers get fined for running sexist ads. I mean, I'm sure there's sexism in Sweden. All the isms are everywhere. But it seems like they're less willing to accept sexist attitudes. And so you get a couple of guys putting on a race where they just assume women are going to have a good time and do well. And they seem to want their event to grow in popularity because they want more people to be out in nature and have a beautiful event and experience. Not so much that they want to be like crush your competitor. We are the most superior. We are the only one. It's more about having a good time again. Everybody's having so much fun. That is kind of the point. So my mom was actually very concerned about us, Sarah. She was uh, (laughs) worried about us making it, finishing, 
not killing each other, not dying, getting lost on an island. She was worried we like wouldn't make it off an island. We did get lost on an island, but it turned out to be okay. So, <laughs> okay, what would be? Let's do our top tips. So, for people who are first timers or who are considering doing swim run, Kelly, what would be your top tip for them? I feel like you don't need to get overwhelmed with the gear and logistics. Like we worried a lot beforehand about all the things we needed to buy. Like what is a pressure band, waterproof pressure bandage. And it turns out we have no idea what a waterproof pressure bandage is. We still don't know. And we never really needed to know. And it was fine. We didn't need the map. We never used a compass. Like I feel like there's a, you don't even need the tether. Like don't overcomplicate this. You don't actually need to make it too complicated. You know, what's funny is that actually my tip (laughs) was to take care (laughs) with the equipment. (laughs) So I think, okay, well, technically for this particular race, it's not true for all swim run events, but for this particular race, we had to have the tether. Right. Right. So I think, though, I don't think the winning guys ever used it. I think they did not use it. They had to have it the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, so also like the things I regret, like not taking better care with was one, like not having new goggles so that I could actually see out of them because my goggles just kept fogging up and I couldn't navigate, which was a huge part of the race. So then you had to lead a number of times where I'm like, I can't see where we're going. Also my shoes, like I, because I was a little undertrained, I really, I went for like Hoka trail shoes, which is like, which was fine. It wasn't like a terrible Yeah, I choice. wore Hoka trail shoes too. I just wore the lighter weight ones. You had the ones that were not like rock friendly. Yeah, I think I should have. Um, I think, you know, if I had been better prepared and could have, like if I'd thought it through or next time I would wear shoes that were, or I'd wear shoes that are a little lower to the ground and be better prepared. Um, also, I was really grateful for our Colting wetsuits that we had. They like all those special little pockets and stuff. I think good. I've had all my like cliff shots stuck in there. I mean, really the wetsuit would have just like that probably was all we needed besides the tether. Apparently there was a whistle built on the zipper and we didn't even know. So really like you just get a nice like wetsuit, some good shoes. You'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. And train more. I mean, train. Don't listen to Sarah. Train more. Train. Definitely train. And then the other thing was that the other thing I would say is like I got a lot of advice ahead of this. And I think the best advice I got was to just be in it for the adventure and not be too like control freakish because you can't be like, you're not going to go in a straight line point to point. You know, you're probably going to get lost a little bit and you might like, there will be other challenges during the day. And so for me, I was like completely committed to the adventure race aspect. And so then that made it good, I think. Yeah, definitely put away your like triathlete instincts of like exactly how many meters it is because it is not that many meters. Exactly. It's no. Exactly. Okay, so speaking of which, we wanted to, to talk a little bit about like picking races, how we pick races and how we find out about races. Right, like how did we even find out about this? I actually almost found out about it too late and almost like missed the sign up deadline and everything. I mean, you weren't supposed to be my partner originally, but my partner broke her toe, so... And now, obviously, I've been recommending it to everyone I know. But how do they know if they if I don't talk to them? How do they, so how does someone else find out about this? How do we find out about things? And I think it's it sounds like not a big problem, right? It sounds like, oh, whatever. I just like hear about races and it's fine. But it's actually a pretty big problem, I think, in the endurance space business, like in the in the industry, in the world, because what happens is that we need some kind of verification, right? We need some kind of vouch to know that a race is legitimate to know that it will be safe and it will be good and it will be, you know, there will be aid stations and there will be like boats on the water, right? Like to know all those things. And if you don't know people in that field, like in that sport, in that place space, 
then you don't you can't get a personal vouch. So you need some kind of like third party vouch. And right now we all go to Iron Man because Iron Man guarantees some minimal level of competency. And so we just go to their website, look at their calendar and pick. And there is no like there is no system to vouch for like independent and third party races. Right. right? Like, unless I'm missing it. Is there one? No, I don't think there one. is. I don't think so. Before, Okay. So I know a couple different people who are considering creating databases. Right. Which would races. be a good and idea. And then you could build in your, like you say, you could build in your kind of verification system into the database very easily. Um, so definitely there are people who see the need for this. It's just about like, who's the person going to be who succeeds and gets this off. Because the obviously there are a lot of calendars out there like data like databases aggregators the problem is you go and you're like oh here's you know 2010 k's next weekend i don't know which have five people and which have five thousand people right. and so there needs to be some kind of third-party verification stamp of approval like consolidated all in one place and that would actually be really beneficial for a lot of independent race organizers and directors like if i ran a triathlon business industry association i might suggest creating this kind of third-party verification seal of approval vouching system so that athletes could more easily find my races. Because if athletes can't find your races, they're not going to sign up for your races and it doesn't goddamn matter how cool your race is then. Yeah. Like end of discussion. That's really true. And I think also having a lot of the information linked directly from there so you can find out like if you're good on hilly yeah. courses, you, you should be able to like put that through a filter and just I know. I like, I always want to be able to like filter like I want a 10 K fast on this weekend within, you know, with this many people, like I should be able to do that. Yes, you should. I agree. So yeah. anyone out there who wants to create this system, uh, let us know. We'll, uh, we'll inform right. the powers that be and we'll get, uh, we'll get you some help. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Just giving you, I'm just giving you business ideas. I feel like we just give just, away just give amazing away business amazing ideas, ideas every week <laughs> <laughs> on Fridays. <laughs> Um, and then speaking of uh, verification slash qualification systems, the 70.3 worlds list has been released for the pros. Um, and this is the last year that they're going to be racing under this qualification system, which is the point system. So they've had to be do the best of, is it still the best of five races for this year? I think you have to have three, it's two or three minimum, but you can do five. Okay. So it's like a point system where you can do up to five races and you know, people with the most points qualify. Races count for different amounts of points based on how competitive they are. This is how the system's been for how long has it been now? 10 years, eight years, nine, something like that. I don't even know what year it is. It's 2018. So yeah, seven to eight years. Seven. And in December, they announced, we're just reiterating for those of you who were not listening to the podcast in December, but in December, they announced that next year for 2019 for Conan 70.3 Worlds, they're going to like the same way the age group system works, which is that there is a slot per race in some, you know, there are more slots in some cases, but that's like a complicated factor, but there are slots. You qualify for a slot. It rolls down to the next person at that race. If the, if you know, you don't want it or whatever. And so it essentially will work the same way the age group system works. Starting the first race for that is in three weeks. Like it, it starts soon, which is the other reason this has been a topic on everyone's mind is that now that the last of the points based qualification is wrapping up for Kona. I mean, I think literally like it wraps up this weekend. Everyone's starting to look at how it's gone. And like if we have this slot based pro qualification system, how would it be different? Right. Like how like now that we like have seen 
you know, the last year, the last year under the old way, what will the new way give us differently? And I, I think, um, I mean, we covered this extensively in December when they announced it. We should like show note link to that podcast and you can go back and like hear all about the ins and outs. There have been like a couple of key things that now that people are like actually thinking about the things we thought about like eight, nine months ago, there's been a couple of key things that have come up. One is that Kona will still be more male pros than female pros, like hundred percent, right? It will be. Yeah. And the um, numbers will be about the same, I think, in terms of the division. Yeah. Well, there's more, there's more. So it'll be like 45, 55 or 42, 58. But yeah, it, yeah. And so specifically for the 70.3 worlds, though, they have... It's equal. It's, it's, it's more, going to be more equal because basically you... Of, I, I think it's 85 70.3 races. In order to qualify it's, as a pro, yeah. you have to go... You have to win a race, basically. More or less, or come top two in a championship race. Right. So there are equal number of slots for 70.3 worlds. It's 85 slots. Is that like 75 races? There are two or three slots per championship race. The difference obviously is for Kona qualification. There are not equal number of slots. There are like a minimum number of slots for women and a minimum number for men. And then there are these floating slots. They're going to allocate based on how many pros race at each rate. It's very strange. But the second part of this whole like analysis, now that we're looking at it is that, and I think this is super interesting. You take your, like right now, the way it works is at the cutoff, you know, the qualification cutoff, they announce how many, like who are the pros that qualified? You either take your slot or you don't, and then it rolls down to the next person. But under the new system, it'll work the same way it does for age groupers, which is, you know, right now, right here, make a decision, get in line, hand us your money, which is very stressful. And I don't feel like they need to do it like that. But now pros will also be stressed out. And so the pros will have to accept the slot and more of them are going to take it so that they have it like they might as well. And then later, if they get hurt or they change their priorities or they don't want to do it, it won't roll down anymore. Right. So it just goes to waste. So like that pisses me we'll off. We'll have less pros there effectively. At 70.3 worlds, definitely. Like because obviously like fewer people turn down their slots for Kona, but more people will take a slot for 70.3 worlds and then later decide not to do it. And then it doesn't roll down to anyone and I'm guessing out of the 85, you probably have like 50 or 60. Really? You think it'll be that few, hey? Because right now, if you look at the list that was released last week, mm-hmm. the, I don't remember how many slots it is right now. It's 50, 50, like the 50 slots rolled down to like 120 something in the rankings. So that means 70 people, give or take, turned it down, right? Wow. Which is fine. Like, I mean, it's like there's a whole nother discussion about how like 70.3s are still like finding their own. And there are obviously like the best 70.3 specialists are very, very good, but there's still like a depth issue, right? Mm-hmm. But if 70 people turn it down, all those people now will have no incentive to turn it down on the upfront. Right. Right. Okay. So I think, I, I guess in some, what's going to be interesting is in 2019 to see actually how much this new system affects how many people are on the start line. So if we have, I don't even know how many they have right now. How many uh, pros do they have on the start line? 50. It's fit for 70.3 worlds. It's 50 women and 50 men. Typically, I feel like you usually get in the thirties, actually 35 or so 38 starting right. next year. In theory, it will be 85 women, 85 men. So potentially 85, but it could end up being, and that, that could actually make the gender divide a great variable too. Like part of me thinks we could end up with 
a, a bunch more, even like 10 more women than men on the start line. We easily could. Yeah. It's also going to be very annoying <laughs> for people who like wanted to qualify and now are like, oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks for taking that spot and then turning it down. So true. Thanks so for that. True. So changes in the pro race, folks, and we will keep updating you, of course. <laughs> this is for all the people who want to get super in the weeds about Kona exactly. and 30.3 qualification. Exactly. We will keep you informed. You don't have to read anything else. We're here for you. Um, okay. After the credits, we're going to talk about Scott Jurek's FKT and why he got in trouble and uh, how the outdoor space is changing and whether that's good or not. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at askickerincincwithak.com and Crave Jerky, cravewithak.com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real, and I'm feeling so ruthless. So Scott Jurek, who's like kind of a famous ultra runner, as famous as an ultra runner can be, I guess, uh, pseudo famous, was fined after his 46-day Appalachian Trail. I guess he got the FKT, the fastest known time on that. He was fined for opening champagne, amongst other things. Kelly, what's the story there? Yeah, he finished in uh, Baxter State Park in Maine, which is like notorious for being super strict. And he opened some champagne, so he got violated, or he got fined for an alcohol violation. He got another fine per, for having more than twelve people. He got another fine for like his film crew violating, you know, the rules of their permit by like recording on the summit. All this like isn't a big deal for him. You know, he paid the fine, whatever made more money from his sponsors, but it does raise like a lot of questions about kind of what is the direction of, of what we're using our natural and outdoor spaces for. Right. Cause a lot of people thought obviously that that was really ridiculous. You should have just let him do these things. Like don't be such an asshole. Right. And then some people were like, you know, that's, that's fair. Like these are rules. They're rules for everyone to have like enjoyment of nature without ruining it. And if we all just ignored those, then like it wouldn't be nature anymore. It would be a whole lot of film crews and champagne. I mean, you guys had to have wrestled this with this for Alyssa's FKT, right? Yeah. So we actually, you know, we just said we had heard about Scott Jurek's issues and we, you know, we decided not to have the champagne and then we also, or not to have it there on the trail anyway. <laughs> um, and then we also, we also looked into needing permits and stuff. And I think like we were kind of like, it was, it was kind of hard to read or understand, especially in the days of social media. And we're going to talk about this, I think too, but like what counts is like if you're posting on Facebook, that's not the same as if you're making like a full fledged documentary out there. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think. And what counts as a film crew? Like, does me with my GoPro count as a film crew? Um, so I think we in the end decided that we were on the side of not needing not needing permits. So which is probably fine. But obviously there are YouTube influencers who have, you know, 1.5 million viewers. So if they're just recording a GoPro video for YouTube, 
with, you know, sponsors and they have like tons of money, much more money than unfortunately Live Feisty makes. Does that count as a commercial production? I mean, it's a very like weird line. And then, you know, when somebody's base jumping off of a rock face and they're posting it to Instagram, does that encourage people to do things that they like shouldn't and don't have permits for? Like, how are we really navigating and using our natural spaces? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think I fully understand the um, the objection to like the film crew out there. And is it like you're just not allowed to have that number of people physically in the place where Scott was with his crew? I mean, like, I think that's part of it. Like Western States last year, I remember somebody telling me this. There were so many people, so many film crews that the number of people running with cameras was literally getting in the way of the runners. Right. And I think I mean, it also comes down to and I think we grapple with this in a lot of our races. I mean, not like triathlons, but, you know, trail races, ultra races, like using the outdoor space. Like, yeah, that's fine for one person to be out there and like riding their mountain bike through a trail. But if, you know, hundreds of people are doing it, doesn't it start to like erode that trail? Like it's not good for the animals or for the, what's the word? I'm, I'm like, I'm like the grass, the, the, the plants the and stuff, right? The flora and the fauna. The flora and the fauna, exactly. <laughs> right. So at some point, like how do we interact with what we want to enjoy and still respect it? Right. It's about keeping the space kind of pristine for the people who mm-hmm. want that quiet space to go out there. But then is that like an artificial goal? Because aren't we also trying to encourage people to like get outside more? So shouldn't we meet them where they're at? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of torn about that one. I, I definitely understand both sides. Um, I definitely think if you see someone base jumping on Instagram and you decide to do it yourself, you're, you've probably <laughs> you won a not. Darwin Award right there. Um, <laughs> so maybe it's self-selecting. Well, okay. So that's our solution. It'll be (laughs) self-selecting and eventually we won't have this problem anymore. (laughs) I don't have solutions, but maybe our listeners do. So if you have opinions, send them to us. We always want to hear them. You can send us a voicemail just like Kelly's mom does. If you want to record an audio file on your phone, just email it to me, Sarah with no H at livefeisty.com. And we will play it on the show and we may or may not discuss what you have to say, but we will always appreciate you. I just have an idea. You should also buy Sarah with an H at livefeisty.com. I also have livefeisty spelled wrong.com. Just in case. So 